0: This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org He's already been speaking this morning, like really, really clearly. Really clearly. We sang a lyric. There's not a place, your mercy and grace won't find me again. There's no place. Your mercy and grace won't find me again. So if you are, as Carissa exhorted us through the word, feeling like the one here is, or several of you, cut off, you're found. He's expert at finding. There's not a place. His mercy and grace won't find you again. He's expert in it. There's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. And that's not a scary thing because the eyes that look at you are not eyes of condemnation. They are eyes that are completely and utterly for you. For if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? It's not a scary thing to know that every aspect of your life is seen by God. It tells you you're not cut off. There's not a place. His mercy and grace won't find you again. I'm so glad that Hannah brought the word she did. It was fantastic. It really blessed me, Hannah. And and it's the word that I've, I've gone back and listened to several times. It's from the 27th of November. It's about building the house. We've been looking at building the house uh, after looking at the foundations of the faith last year, because foundations, of course, are laid to be built on. When Matthew shared on the 27th of November, he explained that when Jesus taught about the wise man who built his house upon the rock, his house in that instance was his own life. And Paul mentioned at the end there. About, you know, wanted to have a little look at us, us as individuals, and that's precisely the emphasis I've, I've got to bring this morning. The house there was his own life, and he further elaborated that this image of building the house in the scriptures can apply individually to family to the community, and to the whole purpose of God. Because one of the ways of understanding all that God is doing in the world is that he is building a house for his glory. He is building a place where people can come and encounter him, both corporately and individually. We are supposed to be living, breathing, walking encounters with God for the world around us. And that's what he's doing in the earth. And Jude, in the book of Jude, instructs us at verse 20. There's only one chapter. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. It's plural. So he's talking to to everybody. So each individual, you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give emphasis on building our, our building ourselves up as individuals this morning. The reason for that emphasis is, because Paul says in Ephesians 4.16, that from him, from Christ, the whole body, that's corporate, the church, is joined and held together by every sort supporting ligament. And it grows, that's the church, it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The church, the body, us as a people together build Ourselves up in love as each of us does our work. Conversely, then. If we don't build ourselves up, the body does not build itself up in love. So. God cares about us as individuals. He cares about how we are building our own lives. He wants us to know that how we as individuals build our own lives is vital to the health of the whole. Paul declared in Galatians, didn't he? He said, "Um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20, the life I live in the, uh, the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. Of course, he gave himself for all of us. Of course, he died to, to, to birth a church and to build a house for his glory. But you've got to know he also gave, his, gave himself for you. If you'd have been the only person on the planet, he'd have done it because he loves you. <laughs> so turning to, to, to building our own lives, Marie Ledger also prophesied. At the end of the message Matthew brought on 27th of November, and I, uh, I, I put it on City Church Community, but for those of you do not not avid Facebook users, I, I'll just say it again. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message on the, on the 27th of November and the prophetic word. But it's what we've heard this morning. She said, grace actually empowers us not to sin. Like Simon said, the focus is not on the sin or the issue. Grace empowers us to live the life that God has designed us to live. His grace empowers us. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. <laughs> and in Hebrews 39, it says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be established by grace. It is good for our hearts to be established by grace. I don't like getting fancy in Greek on you, but the Greek. But I did look this up. The Greek, the Greek word for established there is "babeo," which I just think is quite cool. I think we should say it to one another generally. To be fair, hey, babeo, how you do? Um, but but um, babeo, and it can also be translated "keep strong." It is good for the heart to be kept strong by grace. You see, it is not merely grace that saved us. It is grace which will establish us as individuals and as a people, will keep us strong. His great does, grace does not just mean we are forgiven. I was talking to Chris Jones earlier before the meeting started here and he said, grace isn't just that we're forgiven. I was like, amen. That's the <laughs> but, but grace does not just mean we are forgiven. It is his enabling power for us to live the life we never could without him. And you know what? We're not without him. You're not cut off. There's not a place. His mercy and grace will not find you again. Amen. If somebody is going to build a house, once the foundations are laid, they need to know that the materials they're using, the way in which it is being constructed, how it is when it finishes, will keep strong, will be established. The rains came, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus said that. That's not me. me. (laughs) It is truly a hassle when things are not done well in a house, because it is where most of us live. Before uh, Christmas, in fact, the day before we were supposed to go, well, well, we did go away, but the day before we went uh, away for our pre-Christmas holiday as a family, um, uh, Izzy has a shower, comes out, it's all fine Charlotte gets in the shower and when she's showering um, it starts raining through our bathroom ceiling through the light fittings I was like, babe, turn the shower off <laughs> um, <clears throat> But um, so yeah, it starts raining through our bathroom ceiling and we're there and all the kids as well and the kids are getting quite distressed by this they're like, we can't actually stop it um, or we thought we couldn't. And so uh, everybody's getting pans and, and stuff like that to catch this water coming in through the light fittings and everything else like that. Just what you want the day before <laughs> you go on holiday. The little sense of breaking. The light fittings raining down. Praise the Lord. Um, but um, but anyway. Yeah. So, so what we did do was uh, we found the I guess it's the, the stop Jeff, is it? You know, you, you, I found the tap. I don't know how I haven't got a clue about these things, but anyway, I, I found the tap and turned it off, and that did stop the water raining through our ceiling. Um, and we managed to get hold of a, uh, or my dad managed to get hold of a plumber friend, and he came round and he had to go into the cubby in our in our bedroom, uh, but the storage cupboard. We got everything out. He had to break the wall. Because because the bit in, you know, in the loft, which is covered up now by a wall, is what sits above our bathroom ceiling. And he found, uh, you know, one of the pipes basically had, in the cold, had sort of changed size and one of the, the ends of it had popped off. And that's how the water started raining through. But what he discovered there as well was there were several pipes there with the same potential issue because basically how it had been constructed, it shouldn't have been done that way in the first place. There shouldn't be that many pipes extending this way out and all of them potentially have water coming through. He's going to come back (laughs) this year just to make sure it doesn't happen again. But basically, it's a hassle when things aren't built right. And we want to we want to do the proper thing in the first place, and in building our own lives, in, in our building the proper way, in our being kept strong, it is gra- it is His grace which will keep us strong. And vitally, it is our hearts which are key in that. Our hearts are key in the building process of our lives. It is good for the heart to be established by grace. What is the heart again? Last greek word, I promise. But, um, the Greek there in, in the actual Hebrews 39 verse was, was cardia. And it, 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 basically, when I looked it up in the concordance, it said seat of thought and emotion or seat of the inner self with a focus on thinking and understanding. But uh, I just thought, oh, I'm going to ask Chris. So I, I messaged Chris last night via WhatsApp. And, um, I love what he said. He said, you know, generally taken to mean in scripture, drive and motivation. What's driving you? What's motivating you? And and this scripture makes this plain all over the place. Jesus st- says in Luke six forty five, which incidentally comes immediately before the parable of the wise and foolish builders. The good man brings good things out of everybody. Can you just say out of a minute? That's key in the message. Out of out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Anything we're going to produce is going to come from in here. It'll come out of here. In Proverbs 4.23, New King James Version, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence for out of... Oh, OK. I obviously haven't established the pattern as, 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 as well as I need to. But out of everybody <laughs> out of yeah, <laughs> out of it are the issues of life. Many things may have happened to us in our lives. Some things happen to us external and beyond our control. And I would never belittle the impact of any such thing. But if there is an issue in my life, it will not be what happened to me. It'll be what is flowing out of me. If there is an issue in my life. It won't be what has happened to me. It'll be what is flowing out of me. I once heard a minister of God, Pastor Chris Oyakilomi, Christ Embassy, say, What happens to us in life doesn't mean anything. It is what we do with it, it is our response which is determinative. That is getting to the heart of the matter. This is why Jesus could be asleep in a boat in a storm. You might have heard of that saying we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Now, when people say that, they often mean we're all experiencing the same trouble and are equally as troubled by it. So don't worry. (laughs) Jesus was in the same boat as the disciples experiencing the same storm, but he was not troubled by it. Not because he was nonchalant, not because he was careless, not because he didn't care about his disciples, It is because his heart was so established that nothing on the outside could trouble him. His heart was so established that nothing on the outside could trouble him. Things on the outside moved him. And we'll come to that. They moved him. But nothing on the outside could trouble him. That's why he says to his disciples in John 14, 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled for out of the heart flow the issues of life. If you're in trouble, if you're experiencing trouble, if you're feeling trouble, it won't be what's happening on the outside of you. It'd be what's flowing out of you. He was not just instructing them. He was prophesying to you and I that there was coming a day when he would come to live in our hearts by his Holy Spirit and he would establish them in exactly the same way. There's not a place. His mercy and grace will not find you again. He is here to establish our hearts this year by his grace, by his grace. So I want to share. That's all the context. I want to share just three things. Uh, Three ways, sorry, that I trust will serve the Holy Spirit in establishing our hearts as individuals, as part of our building ourselves up in our most holy faith. And kind of neatly for New Year's, I guess they act as a bit of a a do's and don'ts. But rest assured, not in a legalistic, the letter kills kind of way, but in a (laughs) the spirit gives life is going to enable us to do this and don't do this, etc. There's no water in that. My cup overflows. No, it doesn't. Um, first way do cultivate a heart of compassion, cultivate a heart of compassion. I said things on the outside did not trouble him, but they did move him. Uh, when I was at World um, which is a conference that, uh, a related churches of ours hold down in Cardiff, uh, in October last year. And I would just strongly encourage you by the way, if you didn't make it, Get to that. Put it in your diary. It's really worth going to. You hear from uh, servants and friends of God throughout the whole world and you see the great things that God is doing and what we're involved in more broadly. It's good to see beyond just uh, ourselves. And I was sat there and I was listening and um, I was witnessing all these people from across the world here in Cardiff. But they'd come from all over the place. And what what I observed was, gosh, they're they're moving just so freely and fluidly. They're here today. They're off on a plane there tomorrow and they're going and they're doing this for God. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, if you're going to move in my spirit that freely, you'll first be moved by my spirit. You'll first be moved by what moves me. Paul says, doesn't he? The apostle Paul says the love of Christ compels us compels i'm compelled by the love of god for this world it is this same heart that was behind jesus's appearing in the first place god so loved the world that he Gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not just give us Jesus. He gave us Jesus because he so loved us. God, before the foundation of the world, before Adam sinned, knowing what was to come, saw our shepherdless state. And he was not unmoved by it. He could not just sit idly by and do nothing because that's not in his nature. Can we just quickly turn us to Matthew chapter nine verses thirty-five to thirty-eight? On this, <clears throat> Matthew chapter nine verses thirty-five to thirty-eight. Just please give us a hand when you're you're all there. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> Do I hear one going once, going twice? <laughs> yeah, okay. Are we all there? Great. So I'll just read this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What moves his heart? He saw the shepherdless state of the world around him. He saw the shepherdless state of the world around him. The father sent Jesus, not just because that was always the plan, but because he saw our shepherdless state and had compassion on us. He would not leave us as orphans. And Jesus, whom we know is the exact representation of the father, is moved in the same way. And Romans 5 tells us that God has poured out his love into our hearts out of the heart flow the issues of life while he's done something about that god has poured out his love into our hearts by the holy spirit whom he has given us how do we cultivate the heart of compassion pray we see the world as he does pray we see the world as he does pray we see the shepherdless state of the world around us because if we saw as he sees we'd be moved as he's moved because he lives in us <laughs> if we saw as he sees We'd be moved as he is moved because he lives in us. Sometimes we ourselves, in this regard, can slip into relativism for our friends, family, co workers who don't know Jesus. But what happens is we can start to think, particularly if we know people from a distance, oh, they're okay. They're all right. They don't know Jesus, but they they seem like they're doing okay. But people are not okay. People are not okay, even if relatively they are or think they are. You see, once we were all dead. Once we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. And that is the state of the world outside of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 3 to 4 says, like the rest. Like the rest, like the world around us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved and it is by grace your hearts will be established by making your heart more like his own. Lord, let us see the world as you see the world. Help us to see the shepherdless state of those around us and let your love, which has already been poured in there, well up when we see what you see and move us to act. Amen? The second way, don't build what has already been completed. In building ourselves, don't build what has already been completed. When Matthew preached, he said it in this context of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's laborers labor in vain. And the most obvious example of vain building would be if you have constructed a new build. It's already finished. Imagine you put the foundations in, the walls are up. You've put the roof on the next day. You're out there on the roof and your wife comes out and says, what are you doing? So I'm building the roof. She's like. We already have one. It's been built. That would be the most obvious example of vain building. You see, some things we are instructed to add to our faith... In our building our lives, some things we are instructed to add to our faith. In 2 Peter one five, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Those things we can add to our faith. And truth be told, it's the Holy Spirit that produces that kind of life. And how we add those things is keeping step with the Holy Spirit. But what we cannot add is justification. We can't be any more justified in God's sight than we are right now. I'll become no more right in God's eyes because I'm already right in his eyes because of his grace. Justification came through faith. It is not something we add to faith. The part of the building of that part of the building of your life and mine is complete and there is nothing left for you to do to finish it. So don't keep on working on it. God wants this to be established in our hearts. He wants to keep your heart strong in this. Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him his righteousness. Romans 5, we are told, therefore, since we have been, everybody say have been, have been, we have been, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Some of us might be thinking, well, I know I'm right with God. That's Christianity basic. But do we, though? Are our hearts established in that truth? kept strong. Because Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Why? Because there should be an alignment between how you live and what you believe. what we believe ought to be seen in our lives. So does anybody, let me ask you then accordingly, does anybody ever experience, ever find themselves not at peace? Anybody? Sometimes. Okay. Because peace is the hallmark of our justification. We have been justified through faith, therefore we have peace with God. And if you've got peace with God, If the king of the universe says you're all right, you're all right. You can be at peace. (laughs) If our hearts are established, kept strong in this truth, peace will be the fruit of that. If we believe we have been justified justified by God, peace will be seen in our lives. Does anybody in their experience ever find themselves straying into self-justification? It can be subtle but present. A huge fertile ground for that, particularly for our youth, is peer pressure. Feeling like I've got to, I've got to uh, be a certain way, or I've got to speak a certain way, I've got to do certain things in order to fit in, in order to be accepted, in order to be liked. But we are accepted in the Beloved. Story from work, personal testimony in this. Um, A good while ago, uh, pre-pandemic, I had a case I was working on. Um, For those of you who don't know me, I'm a solicitor and I work for Birmingham City Council. And I had a case I was working on. And um, uh, basically, it was due in court next week. And I was speaking with that case about my boss and my boss's manager. And uh, and it was great discussion. There was lots of interest. And and, um, and then the next week I was in court and we got the result. We got the outcome. It was favorable. And uh, that was great. And when I got back to the office after I'd uh, been in court... I went to send an email just off the back of the conversation we've had. And I went, I went to put in the email. I went to address both my boss and my boss's manager. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you don't need to do that. You don't need to copy your boss's manager in. Now, consciously, consciously, I just thought, well, we've had, you know, I I thought we've had a conversation. I'll just let her know. But the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. At a conscious level, we may not even be aware sometimes what's driving us, what's motivating us. And he who searches our hearts, Romans, knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Back to Chris's definition of the heart. What is driving and motivating you? God knew I didn't that I did not need to take steps to justify my worth or experience in that place. He knew what I needed to do was work as unto him. And he who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. (laughs) It's what he taught, isn't it? When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. (laughs) Go into your room and pray where your father sees. (laughs) This is also why, by the way, we don't need to go looking for bad stuff in our lives, (laughs) just to be clear, to repent of. We have a friend called the Holy Spirit who is expert at gently showing us what we need to do, when we need to see it and and, and how to deal with it. The more I think I have to take steps to justify myself in life, the more anxiety creating that is. And if anxiety is the fruit, I may well have strayed into self-justification. When peace, actually, peace is my portion because I am already justified in the sight of the king of all the universe who tells us we can call him father. Just want to. To turn us to a story in the Gospels to conclude this part. And I think, to be honest, I've been going some time, so I I think I won't do the third. We'll we'll save the third for another day. We'll just just do these two cultivate the heart of compassion and and, uh, don't build what's already completed. Um, But let's just quickly turn to John 8, just to conclude this part. John 8, verses 1 to 11. And I want to turn here because I believe the words of Jesus in this story, although they were spoken to a woman some couple of thousand years ago, I believe they are words of the Holy Spirit to some here as individuals personally today. Why? To establish your heart. And that there is nothing left left for you to do in this regard. So John 8 verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses uh, commanded us well, that's a bit odd. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing uh, him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I just want to pull two things out of this before we finish. They used the law of Moses as the basis for their accusation. The basis of their accusation was good. The Apostle Paul describes the law in Romans 7:12, doesn't he? So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. What is God saying? Not even an accusation that you may otherwise consider to be valid can stand. Because though the law is holy, righteous and good, the law giver is not the one who accuses you. Even if there's valid basis for accusation in your life, he is not the one who accuses you. And to whoever I'm speaking to this morning, he says, let your heart be established in this truth. You are made right in my sight. Don't try and build what's already been complete. I am for you and not against you. Neither do I condemn you neither do I condemn you and if I don't condemn you the king of all the universe says God there's no nothing nobody left to or certainly nobody outside of that that's worth listening to if they bring an accusation it's the converse of saying we are justified in his sight if we're not condemned he's made us right he'll tell you to forsake thoughts and intents of the heart in order to establish your heart he didn't condone what she was doing sin no more but he'll never condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. I'm not, I'm not going to move on to the third. Um, we could be here all day. Um, so, so let your heart be established in this. There is nothing left for you to do in order to be made right with God. We have been justified through faith. Therefore, I'm telling you, peace is your portion. If you ever find yourself not at peace Take a step back and say, Am I straying into self justification? What it the out of the heart, out of the heart will flow the issues of life. If you're straying into self justification, chances are it's something in here. So, just to conclude, it is good for our hearts to be established by grace. If it's out of our hearts, that will do everything we do. That's why it's a good thing to be established in it. In our building ourselves up, let's cultivate a heart of compassion, therefore. And he has already poured out his love into our hearts. Let's pray that we increasingly see the world around us as he sees it, because when we see the world as he sees it, we'll be moved in the way that he's moved. And in building our own lives, let's not do any further work where nothing further needs to be done. You are justified through faith. You are justified through faith. He does not condemn you. There is no place where his mercy and grace will not find you again. He will chase you down. He will persuade you of it. Paul said, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers in all creation is able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? Because he wants you to. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.